What's up, Reimaginers, and welcome back to The Recap Show. I am feeling particularly grateful for all of you um, that we get to continue making this content and that you continue to show up to listen and watch us. So thanks for being here. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. I have seen some notes from you saying it's a little bit difficult to find. So if you subscribe to the podcast, it will be very easy to find because it'll pop up. Make sure you turn on those notifications so every single time there's an episode, you can be the first to know. Um, but let's start this off with a bang. I'll kick it over to you, Tobin. Let's start with the sports as always. The sports. Okay, so there actually won't be any sports because by the time the listeners hear this, we will be in Africa. Woo! Um, Kristen, tell everyone why we'll be in Africa. We are going to Zambia. Um, to uh, as to participate in a grassroots soccer program, um, an organization that I've been on the board of for two years that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Grassroots soccer uses the power of sport to unite and empower young people, and in particular, give them access to health resources, and in particular, HIV prevention and AIDS prevention. So we are going to be on the ground at a site in Lusaka, Zambia, um, and we can't wait to share that story with you all and learn and grow as humans. Um, it's my third trip to Africa, your second, but our first time to Zambia, and I just am so excited. So excited. We're going on an adventure, uh, so that's going to be fun. But the sports will be still sporting, <laughs> um, and we wanted to make sure that we bank some content for you because we knew that you would be devastated if there wasn't any. Therefore, we wanted to remain with the spotlight on women's sports um, and continue the important conversations that we have here on the recap show. So you're welcome, and let's get into the daily discussion. Today's daily discussion will be about the NWSL expansion draft. Um, what's expansion, you ask? Well, next season there will be two new NWSL teams coming into the league. They are... Bay FC and Utah Royals. And those two teams need players. Well, where are they going to get players? <laughs> they are going to get them from the current teams. <laughs> and the way that they do that is through an expansion draft. So each This kind of the- sounds like Hunger Games in a way, you know? Like we're <laughs> setting the stage for the Hunger Games. It's not that far off, but yeah. we're going to get into that later. So each team gets to uh, select a group of players to protect, and everybody else is up for the draft. And this is happening on December 15th, and each team gets to pick 12 players, and um, we'll see what happens. Everybody's lives and livelihoods are up for grabs. Yeah, I think we're actually starting to see the effects of like the expansion happening currently with some trades going around, some spots being thrown around. Um, I know a lot of teams, they try to um, protect as many players as possible. So there's what Kristen Press would call masterminding going on. Um, <laughs> Is that how you say that word? It, everyone else try to say that word. Mastermining. Of course you can say it. <laughs> Only the masterminds can. Um, anyways, that's happening. Um, 
And honestly, I think this is where GMs get very clever on how to protect they their can, core yeah. base of players. Um, while also we know during this time that, that there's a big shakeup in the league. Yeah, and we have both um, played various roles in various expansion drafts. Tobin, how does it feel as a player um, during expansion draft season? Mm, well, I guess everybody's kind of at different parts, right? Sometimes players are really excited about it. Sometimes players want to move. Like, I know that's a little crazy, but sometimes players, new markets emerge mm-hmm. that maybe they're from, they have some affinity to, and they're like, I want to get picked up by them. Oh, I so love sometimes that. it can be a good thing. Okay, that makes sense. Obviously, the most recent expansion draft was Angel City and San Diego Wave, uh, two great markets where I'm sure a lot of players were very excited to go. Um, and when it's not those sometimes, what do you think? Um, so then there's kind of the very opposite of that where maybe there's a player that has signed a long-term contract with a club, has invested time there, has put down roots there, um, and they are left unprotected and therefore um, could be picked up. And I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg that happens where clubs play some games seeing which players they can leave unprotected and still kind of have the feeling that they won't get picked. Yeah, so that's actually a key point. When a team is protecting their players, they're also trying to figure out what the other team is looking for. Mm -hmm. And in my sense, never having been someone who's known what's happening in an expansion draft really before all the deals are made before the actual expansion day or so many of them are made and so you know that day is just the execution but basically right now what's happening is Mm -hmm. all the deals all the trades um that i'm sure everybody's seeing Mm -hmm. um and yeah i think this whole american sports market culture um is something i'd love to dive into a little bit yep um, I mean, I think first and foremost, we have to say, like, this is not how European soccer and soccer globally really is looked at. Mm-hmm. This is very much a copy paste of American sports leagues, uh, football, basketball, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it creates a very odd environment and culture mm-hmm. in our league. Um, obviously, the MLS is built in a similar way. Yep. But I think... My issue with our league being based off those leagues um, is is multifaceted, um, but a, one big problem that I think when it comes to just like re reallocating or um, yeah the the way that players are um, moved around and traded around, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for this league because the players aren't getting paid enough. Yeah, and I'm sure I said this to you a hundred times, Tobin, because I care about this a lot i think you know you can just imagine for a player on a tens of millions of dollars a year contract gets traded to make tens and millions of dollars somewhere else and they have movers and Mm -hmm. they have to tell their family like sorry sad i know you had friends and maybe our kids are in school but the transition is quite easy yep and you're thinking about making a short-term sacrifice in where you live for making a lot a lot of money when you're talking about the nwsl you're talking about players living in um often in team housing, which yep. is not always great. Low average housing. Um, you're talking about, you know, getting some sort of trade stipend where you have to like figure out how to move all your stuff, get out mm-hmm. of leases. You really can't afford. Um, often players cannot afford to make long-term leases because they m- might get traded and they can't pay for that lease and also get traded and have to pay for a different lease. Yep. Um, and so 
the financial restrictions on our lives are much more severe than it is on other leagues. And mm-hmm. that has a great implication on how trades and expansion drafts feel. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, the biggest problem for me, and people will always say, oh, this is sports. This is how sports are. Um, and I don't think there's any sympathy when we're talking about these you know, tens of millions dollar contracts, right? That's sports. Somebody would say, all move for however much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And like, yeah, it is sports, but it's also people. Yeah. And, um, and that takes like an emotional cost, right? Um, and it is hard. It's hard to join new teams, fit into new styles, make new friends, go through the process of finding a place to live. Like these are all things that you have to do on top of playing your job, which is a strictly a performance job. It's mm-hmm. not like a job where you get to like, it's not a desk job where you kind of just like sit down and you do your work. It's like you immediately get sent somewhere and you have to step on the field and you have to perform. Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought that up. Actually, Lauren Cheney Holiday just wrote a post about this when her husband Drew got traded. And the larger sentiment of the post, which I thought was so beautiful, was like, we're humans too. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when you talk about athletes and trades and ownership, it feels like we're livestock just being like moved around. Yeah. Yeah. But to that point, is like you do have people that invest deeply in their communities and that's a big part of for them playing um, in a city Mm -hmm. um, is actually becoming a part of that city Mm -hmm. and that's what clubs are built on they're built on tradition and heritage and um, and care deep deep care and love of cities Um, where you kind of lose that connection between clubs and cities is when players become so transient and and playing in a city it doesn't mean anything to you Mm -hmm. that city those people they don't mean anything to you you know if you're just going somewhere for a paycheck does the badge on your chest really mean as much Mm -hmm. um so i think that there's like there's a it's multifaceted right it can be a great thing moving to a new team a new franchise look these players these first players on these teams like bay fc and utah royals these are going to be the first players ever at these franchises the foundational work like the responsibility of that is fun. It's exciting. They should have immense pride in that. Like you get to from day one set the standards at a club, and that's that's exciting. You got to do it at Angel City. I got to do it at Portland, um, and forever. Like those are places that will forever be like ingrained deeply on our hearts. Yeah, I really appreciate that point, and I don't relate at all because LA is my so dear to my heart, and I am so invested yeah. in this community. Um, and I'm lucky because obviously I played all over the world before I got to make it home. Um, but it definitely feels like when I got to become Angel City's first player, it was like too good to be true. I kept yeah. saying that this yeah. is too good to be true. But why is it too good to be true? You know, like yeah. I think that there's a big push from players and and our players association in this um collective bargaining negotiation for free agency because I really think it has to do with like a little bit of autonomy and especially as our league grows and salaries grow and players have more financial liberation um and financial power mm-hmm. um I think in the process having a little bit of power over where you play and where you live and what that looks like is like a really important piece because obviously the finances aren't where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But to get back to the expansion draft, 
you have been picked up in an expansion draft and I am very, very aware that this was a hard moment in your life. And Tobin is doing us a very rare favor and agreeing to share a little bit about how that experience was for you. Yeah, I think like enough time has passed where I feel like the trauma is is deep, far enough down that I feel like I could probably talk about it. Um, okay, I like that framing. Being a, as being a seven, you know, we don't, talk about bad things I, I appreciate, or even I feel that. I appreciate your, your framing because you didn't say the that you had processed the trauma. No, but just no, that you it's buried. pushed <laughs> down deep. Um, no, I, I equate this to the biggest um, heartbreak of my life. Um, oh my gosh, she's bringing the drama. No, it, <laughs> and I, I do think it's because, you know, for me, playing in Portland was one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, it gave me... Uh, a childhood dream and um, when you know it was a big surprise to me to learn that I was picked up in the allocation um, process or expansion process and um, and I will say like I envision myself playing in Portland for the rest of my career. Um, I envision myself living in Portland for the rest of my life um, and putting all of my football and everything that that community gave me back into the club. Um, and so it was hard. Like I felt like all of those things ended um, in a big, big surprise and turn of events. But, you know, that I had to say that's life and that's sports. Okay, so and that's when I start pushing it as far down as possible. Okay, so take us through a little timeline. Where are okay. you in the world? How do you find out? How does this happen? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, it was it was during COVID. Um, you and I had actually made a decision to go over to um, over to Manchester United to be able to continue to play football at a time when. Um, football was scary. Um, we went to a country that was a lot smaller, that had um, a lot different setups in terms of their COVID restrictions, their ability to continue playing football, uh, where we felt like we could be safest as a family. Um, and those were all really important in our decision. It wasn't ever a decision to to leave Portland or to leave the NWSL. It was a, dish, and it was a um, decision that we made to be able to make sure we were staying in tip-top shape for our football um, to actually be ready for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And how did you find out that you were going to be unprotected? Yeah, I remember um, we were in Manchester and um, I got a phone call from from the then coach uh, Mark Parsons and who I had a wonderful working relationship with um, throughout my time there. And, um, he was like pretty somber and like, let me know that, um, they weren't protecting me, which didn't come as a surprise because I was a, um, at the, at the time, this isn't the case now with the draft, but I was a U.S. Women's National Team player. And those players, you could only protect, I think it was like two of them on each club. And it you're an elder millennial. And I'm an but older, may, but maybe you weren't. But you were at least. I was definitely in my prime. <laughs> um, yeah, and so so I um, so I knew I wasn't. I I knew I wasn't going to be protected. I think at that time the two protected players were. Um, that's because they had brought in Crystal Dunn uh, at that time, which was a fi fantastic move. And um, Lindsey Horan was there, and they protected Crystal, which 
I totally understood. Crystal's younger than me. She, they had just brought her in, so it would be silly if they didn't protect her. Um, so that wasn't um, foreign to me that I wouldn't be protected, right? The thing that I got a little concerned about was kind of the tone of the conversation. And in that um, way, it made me a little uneasy, but also at the same time, I was being reassured from a lot of people that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so just to add a little bit of color, I also wasn't protected in this um, expansion draft. And um, the then Utah, I was playing for the then Utah Royals, and there was definite talk about not protecting um, older, more established players. One, because it's perceived that we have more power and can kind of do what we want. And two, because um, we're not as good of draft picks. Let's just say it. We have less longevity on our career. Yeah. So if, if you're trying to start a new team, do you want, you know, someone who I think at that point we were, you know, 32, 33, mm-hmm. or do you want someone that's 22, 23, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there's probably a happy medium in that, but a lot of established U.S. Women's National Team players were unprotected. Oh, yeah, the unprotected list was, was like, wide open. Being unprotected wasn't a huge shock, although it's always a little nerve-wracking. Um, what happens next? And tell us how, how it went down and how you felt. Um. Yeah, so what happened next was... I was told by all parties that I wasn't going to be picked up. Uh, so I was very happy about it. You know, look, like my my life and what I thought was my future was in Portland. Um, and you know how much that club means to me. And, um, and I remember the night of, so it was obviously a different time change, but I remember it was around midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we actually had the Manchester Derby in the in the morning the next day, and I remember it was midnight, and I um, I got I saw a call from my agent at midnight, and before I even answered the phone, um, I knew I had been picked up. All right, do the hard thing. What it what was it like? How'd you feel? Yeah. So so immediately I was kind of like in. D- denial like I I was told by my agent you know you're being picked up by this team um and I said like tell them like there's no way I will ever show up why did you say that I think in in one way it had nothing to do with that particular club but it had everything to do with my love for the club I was currently on and and playing for Portland. You know, I I also know what it's like, you know, expansion clubs and and the importance of like being bought into like a process um and to that and I felt like at my age and like what I had done in the sport that I wasn't being even heard in the process that I wasn't going to go there. Mm-hmm. And I have that leverage because ultimately I don't have to go there. I can go and play for a club overseas that I want to play for. Um, and I do believe that when players are picked up, they should want to play for their clubs. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big difference between being indifferent or saying, look, I don't have the leverage to really choose my club. And like, what a great opportunity going to an expansion club. You'll probably get more minutes than you would in another club if you're an up and coming player. Like, it's really exciting. And that's where I, w- I wasn't at that point in my mind or my heart to go to a new place and invest in it in the way that I think is deserving of a new club and a new place. And therefore, I made that perfectly clear. 
And then at the same time, I think I had this like fantasy that that Portland was going to like swoop back in and like trade for me or do some kind of like miracle move. Um, and that obviously didn't happen, um, nor did I think I even asked for it to happen because at that point I felt so hurt. Um, Why did you feel so hurt? You know, I don't know if I'll ever know because <laughs> emotions are tough for me, but I remember I have never cried harder in my life. Like I just cried like, and you can attest to this. And you were like, I don't understand. And I just, I couldn't console myself. Um, and I think it comes down to the fact that like that place, that team like gave me a dream that I didn't think I could recognize in my lifetime um, playing for those fans and, and doing uh, all that. Well, if you are a Portland Thorns fan, this is your moment to just feel loved <laughs> uh, because while Tobin is not very comfortable with emotions, I am. And I will <laughs> tell you, um, I experienced this as a great trauma of your life. It really did break your heart. Um, I teased you that it was drama at the beginning, but it did. And it still does. And I think that, you know, part of what we wanted to share today was just that, like, this is what it's like. Like, this is how it feels. Like, you know, I'm going into the expansion draft. I'm about to get a call to hear if I'm protected or not protected. And, like, I'm not going anywhere. Hello, newsflash, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but but it's scary for everybody. And I think it's a beautiful thing when, um, you know, players and professional athletes are able to invest in their clubs. And it's also a high risk thing with the way that our American league is set up right now. And you took the high risk and it kind of burned you in a little bit because, um, you didn't get to stay and, and finish your career in Portland and, you know, continue with that club in the way that you wanted. Um, yeah. and you know, like, I'm, I'm a oh gosh, here it comes. Now she's walking back her feelings. Go no, ahead. No, like, I, I'm a big kid. Like I get it. Um, I'm not trying to say like I'm above some some system, but I do think like, you know, for these teams that are going to be picking like kind of their franchise players, like their players that they're going to build their clubs on, like you want those people to be deeply invested in it. That's how you'll get the biggest return on that investment. So even if it's like a conversation on and an alignment on, you know, kind of the goals and objectives of the club and and figuring out who those those players are that are going to like be passionate about the club as much as the people that are building it. Yeah, I think that you make a great point and ultimately um if there's a lesson or a message from this episode, I think it's that how players feel matter because we're doing a job and pretty much every job requires buy-in, but this job requires our bodies, hearts, and souls to be on the line. And so even if the infrastructure isn't there right now to really prioritize the way players feel, like let's all go above and beyond to make sure that when people are being relocated or picked up or traded, that everybody's protected and that we treat um, people like full humans and understand and have hard conversations. And um, I think if we all do that in all of our walks of life, we'll, we'll be better for it. Sometimes the hard conversations are the most important ones and uh, they hurt and they're awkward while you're having them, but they, they protect and prevent a lot of trauma in the long run. Um, and so I think we're here to reimagine uh, the business of women's sports. And I think this is a big part of it. Um, and I think that 
trading, expansion drafts, the college draft is coming after this. It has great implications on our business, on um, the the structure and, and, and ultimately the quality of the football. And that all really matters. Um, and also all of the moving pieces, which in this case are human beings, they yeah. also really matter. Yeah. And I, I juxtapose that with like one of the um, like nicest conversations that that I then had um, or interactions I had with post that that day, which was the next day after the Manchester uh, Derby. Um, what happened in that Derby? You keep referring to it. I think we we won. And did you score? Yeah. Yeah, you have like a distinct memory of that Well, it's like such a like, yeah, I played with like so much, much in my heart. And um, and I, uh, I remember after that game, um, Casey, she brought us into like what was like a coat closet. Casey Stoney? Casey Stoney, yeah. And I don't know if you remember this as well as I do. Um, but she was like kind of mortified by this was her first kind of introduction to actually the NWSO. And she was kind of like mortified that that happened to me, that uh, all the things had transpired the way they had um, and that players just had no protection. And um, she looked at me and she said, um, she said, you'll always have a place here. And it was like, it and like you know, I have like a hundred stories that I could say why I respect Casey Stoney, but that was that was a big one for me. Well, um, brought to tears twice in an episode, record recap show record, and secondly, <laughs> recap, show record. <laughs> recap show record here. Um, but also it was really funny because you started that story with Casey Stoney dragged us into a closet. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I distinctly remember Lee. And it, that place was just so... It was a <laughs> small locker room. And... No, I'm pretty sure it was, like, where they kept, like... Oh, it was, like, a janitorial kids. closet. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that concludes the daily discussion. And that means it's time for some community questions. Oh, nice. I need something lighthearted. Yeah, you do. Now it's everybody's favorite segment, community questions. Um, as always, I'll start. Abby asks, what's your favorite condiment? Condiment? <laughs> yeah. When you pick these questions, I swear. Abby are thought you it was thinking, a good question. Are you thinking of one in particular that I use <laughs> often? No. Well, I know I hate mayo. You do hate mayo, but that was not the question. I love ketchup on like a breakfast hash. You do like ketchup. I think probably also, the most used condiment is probably, oh, I love soy sauce. <laughs> I love salt. <laughs> you also have a very funny way of saying ketchup. Ketchup. That's not how you said it the ketchup. first time. <laughs> Wait, uh, it's not right? Ketchup? Ketchup. Ketchup. <laughs> Wait, did you always know this about me? Not really. Just now, as I say it, <laughs> that's wrong because I never talked about ketchup. Sounded, sounded Jersey. Um, okay, so Karina asked, "Who procrastinates more?" Oh, you picked it, <laughs> Karina. I saw your question and I laughed so hard because prior to taping this episode, um, we got to uh, the planning of the segments and trying to figure out what we were talking to. And it led to a wee bit of a tiff here, the Press Heath household, uh, because 
your host, Tobin, is a dreadful procrastinator. And honestly, now that I am speaking out loud, Karina, you must have known the answer to that. <laughs> because there's just like no chance that you that thought was I like, was a procrastinator. It was a crazy question because I was, we were going through these community questions. It was almost like she was here with us right before we started filming. Yeah, it's like our mics were on and it was live. And when I saw that question, I was like, I just have to ask it. I like to just think of myself as it just doesn't take me very long to do things. Okay, that's not true at all. You don't like to think of yourself that way and you aren't that way. But what is true is that you like to think it's because you live with present moment awareness. So that would have been a good thing for you to say. Hard to argue with it, except for then when you're in that present moment, you better be prepared. I get the thing done when it needs to get done, not when I'm doing other things. Your next question is from Lily D. If you were to get a tattoo, what would it be? Lily D. Ooh. It would probably, well, first off, I don't have any tattoos. And I think there's something cool about that because I think before, like, when tattoos first started, now that I know the history of tattoos, (laughs) which I don't, um... But, like, I, I used to think it was, like, kind of counterculture to, like, get tattoos, right? It was, like, oh, this, like, rebellious thing. I'm going to, like, tat, tat my body. Um, tat my body. Who says that? Um, but then, like, I kind of was, like, oh, like, and, and this is this is how Tobin thinks. Then I was kind of, like, everyone that is doing that, I think it's cool to not have tattoos. Anyways, so then So you're I, counter counterculture. I'm counter counterculture. Like that's like how my mind goes. And then I would say, um, but so not I, cancel culture. I won't say it's not cool to have tattoos. Like, but I will say I think it's also cool to not have tattoos. Um, and you can be a rebel and not have tattoos. And um, the second thing I would say, I do think about getting a tattoo. (laughs) And when I think about it, there's a couple things. I don't think I really have enough um, inspiration to really do something permanent. But um, I have a couple, like, themes in my life. One is the number seven, and one is the ace of spades. Nice. So a little combo situation. There would be something like that. Great. Well, this community questions segment's going so poorly. I'm going to name it community questions gone wrong. Oh my gosh. Great segment. Okay. You ready for yours? Yep. Time to redeem our community questions. Okay. Laura Kay said, Kristen, since your true calling was to be a dancer, would you ever consider going on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> <laughs> Laura Kay. Yes, I would consider going on Dancing with the Stars. I don't know that I would go on Dancing with the Stars, but I'm pretty sure you picked this because I once was in a shortlist for Dancing with the Stars, and I took my consideration very seriously (laughs) and started ballroom dancing classes with my mother um, and sometimes even my sister so that I had some fundamental practice to see if I could hang. Um, And I will say... I was pretty great. The biggest fear would be having to dance in heels. So I think if I ever were to go on Dancing with the Stars, I would have to figure out a way to avoid that. Mm. Just, you know, that's my little counterculture moment. Dancing in sneakers. Dancing with the Stars in sneakers. 
<laughs> featuring Kristen Press. I like it. Sadly, that's the end of Community Questions. That ends the recap show on this episode. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure that you subscribe, rate, comment, sign up for notifications, like, and do all the other things that you possibly could to support us. Thank you so very much. Um, to our members, uh, thank you for being members. We hope that you are enjoying all the perks, like the, some exclusive content, video form of this episode and all of the episodes, early access to products, um, and most importantly, community and each other and the opportunity to connect and grow to build a better world. Tobin and I are dabbling with the idea of making some content for you all while we're on our epic trip. Um, and to our podcast listeners, thank you so much for being here. Please do consider our membership where you can watch the video version of these shows and uh, join our community um, and join the re-world. Um, and we're so excited. We're so excited to be off, to travel, uh, to live, and we can't wait to share some lessons um, and learnings with all of you when we're back. Amazing. We appreciate you. See you soon. The Recap Show is a Re-Ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. If you believe in what we're building and love this show, the most important thing you can do is follow or subscribe. Hit the plus sign on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. We are so grateful. The Recap Show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, associate producer Ali Khan, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, motion graphics Eddie Ramos. Thank you.